Hello, and welcome to the Learning Mate podcast, where we invite educational leaders and influencers in education, education technology, and workforce development to share their research, perspectives, and insights about topics relevant to advancing teaching and learning from cradle to career. I am your host, Keith Chandler. And in this episode, we're discussing social emotional learning and why SEL is key to the academic success of our students. From integrating SEL competencies into the curriculum to how doing so can enhance a student's emotional well being and social skills. So, without further ado, let's meet our educational leaders for today's podcast. First, Jean Sharp has dedicated her career to serving education. She has held executive and senior leadership positions in the educational technology industry, leading the design and development of high-quality digital learning solutions that meet the needs of students and educators today. Most recently, she served as the Chief Academic Officer and Vice President of Content Development for a digital curriculum provider, and now... Through her consulting group, she engages with curriculum providers, virtual school partners, and organizations in the digital learning space. Jean is a member of the executive committee for the Digital Learning Collaborative and a member of the leadership team for the National Standards for Quality Online Learning, and she also serves on several curriculum advisory boards. Jean will serve as our guest host for today's podcast. Welcome, Jean. Thank you, Keith. I'm delighted to join you today. Let me begin by introducing Angela Van. Angela is currently the Director of Learning Design for LearningMate. Angela began her career as a special educator, teaching students in the classroom while also working to develop and modify instructional materials for students with learning and emotional disabilities. Beyond public schools, her resume has extensive background in non-public virtual and charter school special education, working in leadership, strategic planning, project management, ed tech, and content development with a focus on equity, inclusion, and belonging. As a subject matter expert in DEI, Angela's experience involves creating culturally relevant and responsive curriculum that benefits students. Angela has a Master of Science in Special Education from McDaniel College in Maryland, and most recently obtained a Certificate in School Management from Harvard University and a Certificate in Diversity and Inclusion from Cornell University. Welcome, Angela. Hi, Jean. Hi, Keith. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Excellent. We're delighted to have you here. Our second guest is Ellie Strazelkowski. Ellie serves as a senior learning design strategist at LearningMate. Among the experiences that inform her work are her tenure working with digital learning companies and her experience teaching in highly diverse schools, both of which brings a wealth of practical experience in research, design, and implementation in hybrid and online curriculum development. Recently, Ellie completed her doctorate in educational technology from Central Michigan University. Her dissertation, which is highly relevant to our conversation today, is titled Teacher Perceptions of SEL Standards, Training, and Value in Blended and Online Learning. Ellie, welcome and thank you for joining us. I am thrilled to be here and take part in the conversation. Thank you. Excellent. So as we begin our conversation today, Many of us are familiar with Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, how great leaders inspire everyone to take action. 
From Senek's perspective, any person can explain what they do. Some can explain how they are different or better, but few can clearly articulate why. The why is the thing that inspires us and inspires those around us. My why is framed in a deep commitment to improving learning and life outcomes for all students. So my first question to each of you is, what is the why that inspires your work? Ellie, let's start with you. Sure. Thank you. Um, I feel like this is a question that really guides a lot of us in teaching backgrounds, those of us with any kind of background in education. Um, so my why is really guided by my younger self. Um, throughout my schooling until I got to college, I didn't necessarily feel like I was valued as being a change agent in the world. And that provided a lot of motivation for my perspective of education and how I wanted to change education in the way that I taught initially and now in the way that um, I, I work uh, outside of the, the formal classroom, right, in, in the broader world of education. It's my motivation uh, that comes from ensuring that students and teachers alike, as well as uh, policymakers, as well as researchers uh, in the field at every level, uh, feel that and know that they're change agents and inspiring others to be change agents themselves, not only within their school, but also within their neighborhood and their world and making that a better place for everyone. Thank you, Ellie. I find these questions to be very inspirational and aspirational, and I appreciate the insight that you shared with us. Angela, what's your why? My why comes from knowing that access to education creates options and opportunities and changes lives. So we've seen throughout history that uh, restricting access to knowledge is a form of oppression that impacts people's perceptions of themselves and others, uh, including perceptions about self-worth, value, and intelligence. So I love creating those aha moments with educators and students um, where they connect with learning. So my true why is knowing that these connections to learning change individuals, communities, and the world. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Angela. And thank you both for entertaining that question as we begin our conversation today. The first topic we're going to explore are the competencies of SEL and what students are called upon to know and do. According to Castle, the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, social emotional learning is the process through which children and adults for that matter, develop skills that help them understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. SEL helps students strengthen their resiliency, improve their communication skills, and make a positive impact on their overall health and well-being. SEL is not new, but there is a recognition that the five core competencies defined by Castle are intended to help us understand ourselves, how we work with others, and how we make good decisions. So as we begin our conversation today, how has the conversation about SEL evolved over the years? I am happy to, to take that, that question to begin. Uh, the five competencies that you mentioned are certainly the backbone of social-emotional learning and how we go through that 
process, right? And the, and the competencies themselves, how they become the product of what um, SEL really is, right? And how we want to achieve that. With that, over the years, SEL, I feel, has evolved quite a bit, um, reaching beyond what many tended to believe was more elementary centric and branched out to middle school, high school, and even beyond. I feel that's been a strong point of focus in the last several years that we've really branched out incorporating um, not just SEL and those five core competencies that you mentioned, Jean, that are very important. And, and like I said, certainly like the, the strong point of what SEL is, but branching out to transformative SEL, which focuses more on um, identity and building collaboration and building community, um, not only within oneself, but within the school community, the neighborhood, and even beyond that, right, more broadly. So I feel that SEL in this way, and this newer transformative SEL, has the potential to be very highly effective in establishing really nurturing positive environments particularly at the high school level, where there are many teachers, administrators, researchers that feel that there are a lot, there's a lot of interest at the secondary level, at the high school level in particular, to incorporate these and that they are very important and students really want this as well, but they're not quite sure how to implement, right, SEL with fidelity, right, or necessarily authentically. Um, it's not that they don't want to, it's not that they haven't made efforts to, it's just that we need a little more training to be able to get there and um, really implement it with fidelity. So I feel that that's really the shift that some SEL has taken, um, that it's done really strongly and really well at the elementary level, stronger at the middle school level as well. And at the high school level, there's definitely that awareness and making those efforts to get there um, on a broader scale than there had been in the past. Thank you, Ellie. Angela? I would say years ago, uh, the term SEL wasn't explicitly used. So we had the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it was a way of addressing character development. And years later, social emotional learning was characterized as the responsibility of guidance counselors and kindergarten or elementary school teachers um, or special educators. So it has evolved to become more of a key instructional strategy that many educators are exploring in more intentional ways and uh, approaching it from the perspective that everyone can implement SEL practices and really looking into how to do that, as Ellie said, with uh, fidelity and a, a strong understanding of, of the core components of SEL as opposed to, we just really want to help children become better people. And we're just going to say, make sure that you're treating people the way that you want to be treated. And, and that's uh, obviously a very key component um, because we that's, that's human nature. And we want people to uh, think about themselves and each other. And as Ellie was mentioning, when it's progressing to high school, I was actually having a conversation with team members this morning, and they were asking about SEL practices in higher education and when they're working on projects with workforce development. So it has, the conversation is, is definitely 
evolving. And that's exciting to hear uh, the ways that we're exploring this. I want to just jump into a comment that Ellie made, and, and Angela, you reinforced this as well. The fact that we have not been as deliberate and intentional about some of the SEL development that has happened at the high school level, at the secondary level. And that's really has been a, an important part of my implementation of SEL over the years. I spent a number of years in dropout recovery and dropout prevention with districts across the nation. And we quickly found that many of our students came into the educational setting without the foundational skills with SEL that they really needed to be successful in school and in life as well. So very important that we continue to look at that for all students across the board and quite frankly, even for adults. I think that's a really important point. Yes. And and I think we have we've overlooked that a little bit too in the in the post-secondary world that it's uh it's extremely important that that this is also, you know, it continues to move beyond um just formal schooling itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to our second topic, which is really focusing a bit on the benefits of SEL. And I know for all of us, we see those benefits and see what's important about um, teaching SEL. But during COVID, educators certainly coined the phrase, and I'm sure you've heard this, Maslow before Bloom. It was intended to communicate how basic human needs, including psychological needs for food and water and sleep, and needs for safety and security and a sense of belonging must be met before academic learning can be fully realized. So how do you view the relationship between social emotional learning and social emotional needs and academic achievement? One of my big topics when it comes to SEL. And then how does the research describe the benefit of social emotional learning? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I feel that these are these are items that are really integral um, to each other uh, as we as we move forward in education and and really working to ensure, like you mentioned, right, the whole child is cared for. One of the points that came out, I feel, you know, with with the COVID pandemic, is that we do need to refocus on the whole child. We do need to refocus on components of SEL and transformative SEL that are not solely on how we feel. But what do we do with that then? And how do we leverage that, right, in the most effective ways, um, in the most productive ways? But yeah, I, I certainly feel that, you know, academic success doesn't equate to lifelong success. Um, just because you have social prowess doesn't necessarily mean you'll be successful in a career or academically, right? So this works inversely. To me, it's imperative that both are embedded into daily instruction. And it's something that I work toward consistently, not only in my own classroom, but also in my academic work and how I try to lead my teams as well. To me, that's what maximizes learning and success, not only short-term, um, but also well beyond the academic classroom to provide for and not only in the academic classroom, but to also ensure that we have, you know, really well-rounded, really you know, exceptional people out in the world. The connection between social emotional um, needs and academic achievement are deeply intertwined. So for from teaching students how to overcome challenges in school um, that end up reducing behavioral outbursts, um, altercations, and therefore reducing suspensions and truancy, to addressing insecurities about academic performance that impact grades and attendance, 
we're emotional beings. So it's counterproductive to um, expect anyone, especially children who are developing and growing to navigate their academics without considering SEL. I would build on that as well, uh, because I do feel that Angela brings up a great point in that really effective SEL not only, you know, reaches all these ends that, that, that Angela is speaking of, but it also helps to create greater empathy. And that empathy, that whole child, right, really works into diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So these things really, they really do go hand in hand from my perspective anyway, um, and from a lot of experience of what I've seen that has been really effective, that when we reach these ideals of identity building and community building, right, that ties very strongly to a community that's equitable in nature and members of that community that stand up, right, for that equity too. Yeah, very definitely. Again, I I often come back to my experiences with dropout recovery and dropout prevention. We were focused on how we help students recover the credits they needed to move towards graduation. So more on the academic side in terms of progress, but it became very clear to us, and it was a mantra among the staff that we worked with at various academies across the nation, that these students, many of them had not had good experiences in school to begin with. And so they ended up uh, in a situation where they were needing to recover credits towards graduation. So that old adage that says they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care became really critical as we thought about the student and the experiences that they brought into the academy, as well as how we address them, how we help equip them with the skills they need to be successful. What would you say have been some of the misunderstandings or challenges with implementing SEL in schools? One of the biggest struggles with implementing SEL well comes from funding and and buy-in with an asterisk. Um, funding is is the eternal uh, the the eternal wheel, right? That we take on in, in schools, certainly. Um, particularly if we're talking about public schools, we're always trying to look for funding for for programs. SEL programs are certainly a part of that as well. Buy-in can be a challenge when I'm speaking about teachers specifically, aren't maybe adequately informed about SEL and teaching SEL and what it can bring to the table. I say that with an asterisk because I believe that the vast majority of teachers are very well versed in what SEL is, and I'm speaking K through 12. They have a desire to implement SEL well in their in their classrooms. I think among administrators, among among districts, among teachers, part of what can become a hurdle is understanding how to go about that at the right level for students. And I I'm, I speak to to grade level here. And then it comes down to personalization too. So that's one of the hurdles. Another hurdle that really comes into play is um, support, ongoing support for implementing SEL programs well, particularly those that can be um, more personalized, right? Those that can be tailored to an individual classroom um, that might not be just sort of the cookie cutter, you know, type of SEL program. Certainly misinformation plays a role too uh, in some of that. And I think many efforts have gone 
toward um, combating misinformation about SEL and transformative SEL, what it is and certainly what it is not. But a lot of times I feel that, yeah, teachers spend their time working to bring SEL practices in as teachers so often do. They spend a lot of valuable time doing their own research and trying to bring this in to make their classroom the best it can be. But they they come across challenges when it comes to feeling a lack of support or not knowing that most states even have SEL standards or guidelines that they could follow. Angela, do you want to take that same topic? So buy-in is 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 often a, a challenge, um, as we've, we've noted. Um, but the reasons for lack of buy-in can vary. Um, again, budgetary constraints. Um, often factor in as educators have to decide uh, which resources we're going to prioritize and spend money on. And we also have to factor in training and comfort level. Um, as humans, we, we tend to shy away from things we don't feel comfortable with. And as educators, uh, the same applies. So depending on the coursework, SEL may not have been covered in a teacher preparation program um, or in a school district's professional development offerings. So building knowledge, capacity, and understanding ways to integrate SEL into the different grade levels and subject areas is often a challenge that impacts consistent implementation of social emotional learning. Before we go on to that second question, though, that I want to go back to, um, Ellie, I was particularly interested, you've used the term transformative SEL, and I wonder if you can explain a little bit more about what you see as the critical difference between what we typically know as SEL and what we know as transformative. Certainly. So when we speak to traditional SEL, what we're really talking about are, are those five those five core areas, right? Self-awareness, social awareness, right? Responsibility. Um, and, and, you know, these are, these are all certainly one of the most important pieces when we're talking about developing out SEL, right? This is what we come back to and, and for good reason. When we're speaking of transformative SEL, this really focuses more strongly on factors that might relate to identity and forming one's identity, um, as well as how we work together with one another. So that deals with collaboration. So these can all certainly go under that broad umbrella of the five core competencies. And finally, when we're talking about community, so community meaning not only school community, but neighborhood and beyond, right? How we become active members, right? And meaningful members of our communities. So it takes SEL just a little bit further. and from how I've used it in my research anyway, really skews it toward that secondary focus. Not to say that, you know, in elementary school, we can't have, you know, activities based on identity formation. That's certainly there. But I feel that at the high school level and beyond, when we're talking about transformative SEL, we're talking about, you know, what we can really do with, right, these five core competencies and how we can leverage them in the world authentically and meaningfully. Thank you, Ellie. I know you explained part of that earlier, but I just sure. thought it was worth a little bit deeper dive into that. So the other question I think that we ran through a little bit fast is uh, when we talked about the benefits of SEL, we talked about the relationship between SEL and academic achievement. Um, but I think we ran a little quickly through the research that describes the benefit of SEL. And so I'm looking for the research base. Uh, certainly Castle has been around for years. They have a very strong research uh, based in terms of the benefits of SEL, what strikes you as the critical benefits that you see from research? 
I feel that there's a very strong tie to SEL that's well implemented and academic achievement. Um, so it does contribute to greater academic achievement among among students when when SEL programs are are utilized at the classroom level, at the school level, and beyond when they're utilized well. This also blends into teachers and schools um, that could have implemented um, what we call like prepackaged programs, right? Those that that actually do give you know individual lesson plans and step by step, as well as more flexible. SEL programs. Um, they've seen this correlation over time. So any any SEL program that has been implemented well um, tends to have that correlation to greater academic performance. There's also a connection to building collaboration, right? And having having school communities uh, that are more collaborative, that work through um, any uh, challenges together, right? Rather than individually. Um, that focus on overcoming a challenge as a collective rather than seeing distinctions among those challenges. Angela, do you want to elaborate on anything else from a research perspective? When we think about uh, the research around SEL uh, related to COVID, um, right before the onset of COVID, um, Melissa Schlinger, the VP of Practice and Programs at Castle, noted that research shows that there's an 11 to one return on investment for SEL programs. So every dollar invested in SEL programs results in a savings of $11 on remediation programs. And that speaks volumes when you think about um, the budgetary constraints that people are trying to, to balance out. Looking at further research, uh, there's a January 2023 article, um, Perceptions of social emotional learning among K-12 teachers in the USA during COVID-19 pandemic. And they, the research findings noted that effective SEL implementation is associated with improvements in social and emotional skills and attitudes and behaviors and academic performance and a decrease in off-task behaviors and aggression and substance abuse um, and also an increase in positive image or positive self-image um, among students and learners. But it's not only associated with um, students, but also teachers, because they noted improvements in behavior management and a decrease in burnout based on some of the activities that they would engage in with learners. So that's huge. So the data is, is showing that social emotional learning and and the implementation of those practices impact not only students um, but teachers as well as as budgets and and those are essentially key components uh, that educators um, and school administrators superintendents um, politicians everyone are kind of, of thinking about and we see that at least 20 states have adopted policies that support the implementation of SEL in K-12 alone. So it's it's a key component that we need to continue to take into consideration um, as we develop programs to support learners. I really appreciate you bringing those resources to bear, the facts that, that we're seeing in terms of SEL implementation. It has the potential to change the culture within the school in a very positive way. 
And when teachers and administrators and students alike are all using the language of SEL in terms of building resiliency and so forth, it makes a big difference in terms of the overall uh, school environment as well. So let's tap more directly into the expertise that each of you bring to this topic. And I'm going to start with you, Angela. Uh, school and district adoption of social and emotional learning has been focused on improving students' social emotional development, their mental health, and educational equity. How do you see SEL intersecting with other topics in education, such as diversity, equity, and inclusion? When you address diversity, equity, inclusion with intentionality, you're essentially thinking about the whole learner. So equity and inclusion by nature mean that uh, everyone is seen, heard, has a voice, and knows that they belong and are valued. If content isn't accessible, then it's not inclusive. Um, and I always just incorporate accessibility into diversity, equity, and inclusion on kind of all levels. So this means we're taking into consideration the needs and interests of all learners at all skill levels, socioeconomic backgrounds, race, gender, uh, nationality, um, location, rural, suburban, urban, ability, just everything. Rudine Sims Bishop uses uh, mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors as an analogy to discuss the importance of diversity in books and the authors who write them. And when we think about content development, we need to create content and learning experiences that allow children to see reflections of themselves and also look through the eyes and experiences of others in order to see others and other worlds. So th that's a huge connection between SEL and, and, and DEI. So research on social emotional learning shows the positive impact that feelings of belonging have on well-being and academic success. So DEI and SEL create environments of belonging. They reduce barriers to learning and reinforce learning practices that support the whole child as individuals and as part of the global community. I love the analogy you used. That's great. Ellie, let me turn to your background and expertise as well. You have a dissertation focused on teacher perceptions of SEL standards, training, and value in blended and online learning. What did you learn from your research and what did you identify as future opportunities for research in the field? I learned so much, as you do, right, when you write a dissertation. That's certainly, <laughs> certainly the case here. One of the biggest takeaways, one of the most lasting takeaways, I feel, um, that I got from my research was that so many educational stakeholders, from districts to administrators to teachers, um, are very passionate about bringing social-emotional learning into their classrooms. And they've, to a large extent, already done it in many ways. Um, the problem comes from the things that we mentioned before in terms of funding, support, misinformation. And from that, teachers actually spend a lot of their time working to bring the best practices for them, for their classroom, and for their individual students into their daily instruction. They spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of resources 
to do this. They want to do it well and they want to continue to do it and they want to ultimately be able to measure it. There's a real desire there. And they've seen some of these outcomes. They've seen the effect that they can have on so much of what Angela mentioned too before on um, on having, they've seen so much growth in their students, not only academically, but certainly in the outcomes that they're seeing from their students as people and as members of their community too. One of the biggest problems that teachers seem to have come across is they were unsure how effective their efforts at SEL were due to, again, that lack of ongoing support and that lack of awareness of resources that might be available to them from something like a state's guidelines and what they could use for social emotional learning, um, if, if it's standards that a state has or simply guidelines uh, in putting those forth. They just weren't sure how to go about that. They weren't sure how to measure it. They weren't sure how to, what the next step could be in pushing it forward. So that's one of the biggest takeaways that I found. There were a lot of DAI components that emerged from the research as well. And this came in the form of cultural responsiveness and that SEL practices that they had put forth did have themes of cultural responsiveness um, as well as community and authenticity, keeping, keeping the work that's done in the classroom authentic to the learner. Um, and that's not just to the classroom of learners, that's down to the individual learner, which is so important in uh, how and what we teach, as well as training um, the complex nature of SEL. Social emotional learning can be really complex to institute in, in a school and in a classroom because of so much of what we've already discussed uh, in making it accessible to everybody, as Angela mentioned, and making it relevant and meaningful to everybody as well. So, so I think these are, these are some of the major themes that emerged and what the research was really able to show. Excellent. Thank you, Ellie. I want to dive in for our last question into this um, environment that we all spend a great deal of our time in, which is creating digital curriculum, digital experiences for students in a blended and an online virtual environment. So when we think about SEL, oftentimes we think about the face-to-face -face interaction that we have with students that we can use to support and equip them with, uh, with SEL skills. But in a virtual environment or in a fully online environment, sometimes teachers are not seeing their students on a regular basis or they're seeing them through a different kind of medium. So how is it that we uh, need to think about ways to integrate and to ways to reach our students who are taking their learning experiences through digital and virtual environments and ensure that their needs for SEL are being met. I think one of the key words uh, to, to respond to this question is engage. Engagement is key. And once you have that engagement of a, of a student, you, you certainly can push further, right, with, with that student. I feel that that comes in different ways. Um, certainly asking students for their opinions on a topic, having them express how they feel about an issue or, or what they feel could be, you know, either a better or worse outcome for an issue, allowing them to have a say, allowing them to have choice 
in how they show their learning. So something like, I know we've talked about a lot in the digital space uh, with UDL, Universal Design for Learning, that component of choice can work toward engagement a lot. And I feel that that's another aspect that goes hand in hand with SEL quite well. When you're building that engagement, when you realize that, you know, your your students, your learners aren't just behind a screen, right? They they are, you know, people with valuable perspectives and they want to be heard. They have experiences um, that they want to be able to contribute um, to other people. So I feel that, you know, really bringing that engaging, relatable content, asking relevant questions, bringing these items to the table and really building on how these outcomes on various issues affect them personally, affect them directly and engage them is part of that first step in really uh, establishing a a community-based hybrid or online environment. I love what Ellie said about engagement. Um, I feel that that's, that's a huge component And something else to consider is listening. Listen, take the time to hear what a student has to say, whether it's face-to-face or virtual space, there are always opportunities to listen. And when students know that you care and respect them enough to listen and actually hear what they have to share, then they'll share more. And this interaction is the, the social part of SEL. Um, What they share leads to the emotional part um, where you learn about their likes, their dislikes, their joys, their fears, their their challenges um, personally and uh, obviously in the in the classroom and the response, the discussion and the subsequent knowledge and resources you share results in the learning. And all of that happens before we even get to the formal um, lessons or SEL programs, which then take this to another level because we're looking at this from the intentional um, standpoint of SEL practices. I went back into the classroom during COVID. And when you think about how do you create that engagement, you have to think about the tools and the resources that uh, schools and educators, um, families and, and students have. So we know that most learning uh, management systems have kind of an embedded chat or email system for communication. And during COVID, I found that it was a powerful tool for hearing students' needs as they kind of looked at it as as like texting. (laughs) So even the emails were set up just like texts. Um, So we had to have a conversation about email etiquette and such. But that was a great way, like looking at the tools and, and pivoting so that you were able to maintain those relationships and that engagement. And then also identifying those guidelines for for communicating. So creating a safe space for students to share their ideas, make mistakes, share their thoughts and explore commonalities and differences, whether in video chats or discussion forums. So it's important, especially in a virtual space, for students to know the expectations, we we talked about respect earlier. Um, when students know that they are valued and respected, and those guidelines help with that. So, talking about respect and not interrupting each other, and and viewing comments through a lens of 
especially when we're talking about social emotional discussions and potentially challenging conversations just in general across all uh, content areas that opening the door for students to recognize that comments and questions are not designed to hurt them, that often it's just an opportunity to ask for clarification or for someone to honestly ask about something and learn something new. And it's not personal. And when you set up those guidelines in the beginning, it really sets the foundation for all of the, the social emotional discussions um, and content-based um, discussions. So with that, when we think about that communication and listening, it's just remembering that each student is an individual. And as a special educator, I tend to think of every student as having an individualized education plan. Um, and that approach aligns really well with social emotional learning because it's remembering that there isn't a one size fits all approach. And, and we have to kind of think about things with intentionality. And as Ellie said earlier, sometimes it, it takes some time um, and teachers are spending a lot of time thinking about that because they know the value and the impact on students. So it's outstanding that we're, we're having these conversations and the conversations are expanding to all grade levels and content areas. Love the fact that you went back into the classroom and firsthand really thought about what it takes to keep kids engaged in the learning and with each other. That's that is amazing. I wholeheartedly agree with thousand percent of everything you said, Angela. Certainly, I you got me thinking a little bit more about that too because I I was also in the classroom <laughs> during COVID. So we one more thing we have in common. Um, yes, I love it. But you you got me thinking about that too and the importance of certainly in the asynchronous classroom and in the synchronous classroom, the importance of flexibility and how everything you said speaks to this, of course, that, you know, it's really important that we're flexible and that we're patient with that safe space, right? And, and building that safe space with students. So a student that, if it's a synchronous environment, uh, that might not be comfortable sharing a thought aloud or sharing a thought to the entire class on a text thread or a Zoom chat or what have you, they might be more comfortable just sending you a message with their response. And that's perfectly fine, right? So instituting that flexibility, and I know we've mentioned it before too, that choice, I just think further speaks to, you know, every everything you just mentioned, which is spot on. I love it. I'm nodding and smiling for everyone <laughs> who can't see this. So it's, it, it's outstanding. Flexibility, the ability to pivot. And, and just really thinking about individual students. I think it comes down to, again, the notion that relationships with a caring adult are so critical for our students. And we saw that certainly through COVID as well, that those teachers who had established good relationships with their students had more engagement overall in online learning than those who had not. As a member of the Executive Committee for the Digital Learning Collaborative, Student engagement in online learning is one of the biggest topics that teachers deal with to make sure that their students are not only engaged in the learning, engaged with each other, engaged with their teacher, and progressing in their academics as well. Critically important. 
This has been such a great discussion. And as we close today, I'd like to invite each of you to share a final thought, a favorite resource, or your priority as you continue to consider how SEL helps address the needs of the whole child. Certainly. Um, my my resource, and this is a resource I just I always come back to because it helped launch my education career. It was one of the first conferences I went to before I started teaching. Um, anyway, it's facing history and ourselves. Um, this is a source that is is very near and dear to my heart. It's fully influenced um, the way that I've taught over many, many years. And how I approach teaching not only not only teachers now in 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 doing trainings, but also my students in really difficult topics. This has some of the best embedded SEL practices when we, we talk about things like not only self-awareness, but social awareness, what it means to have personal as well as community-based responsibility, what community looks like, what consequences to community are. It's all shaped through the humanities, right? So through history um, in different different parts of history from historical atrocities like the Holocaust to the civil rights movement and, and other parts of history as well. Part of what makes this resource so valuable is how it also focuses on equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, and it's this has been the goal of the organization itself since its inception. So that is that is certainly the resource that I would I would share with anybody listening and and willing to to dive into it is facing history and ourselves. I love that Ellie and I went back to that foundational nature of our of our training because that's that's what I'm going to do as well. Um, so as a special educator, the lessons that I learned when I was trained in therapeutic crisis intervention helped me to focus on the individual experiences of students. Uh, we all see and respond to things through the lens of our experiences. And when we give students the opportunity to feel seen, heard, and valued, we will have a profound impact on their education and lives. SEL and DEI help us to do that in a thoughtful and intentional manner. Um, so it's always circling back to the individual students um, and their experiences. Um, I will share a quick one as well. I am uh, particularly drawn to inspirational quotes that help us to take on new challenges that we face. And there's one that Margaret Wheatley um, has shared years ago that aligns with my why. She said that it is possible to prepare for the future without knowing what it will be. The primary way that we prepare for the unknown is to attend to the quality of the relationships. How well do we know and trust one another? And I think that speaks volumes as well. This has been a delightful conversation. You both have such rich and deep experiences and valuable insights to share with others. And I thank you for the insights and the contributions that you have made today during this conversation. And Keith, I'll turn this back to you. 
Absolutely. And a huge thank you to Gene Sharp, president and managing partner for Sharp Solutions and Services Group, for serving as our guest host and for lending your expertise to guide our conversation today. One more thank you to our guest today as well, returning contributor Angela Van, director of learning design at LearningMate, and Dr. Ellie Strazelkowski, senior learning design strategist at LearningMate. To learn more about our guests, visit learningmate.com slash podcast. There you will find our library of episodes, live links to all of the resources we reference during the episodes, and a little questionnaire. If you would like to be a guest or have an idea for a topic, please feel free to start the conversation. Once again, that is learningmate.com slash podcast. The Learning Mate Podcast is a production of Learning Mate Solutions Incorporated. I am your host, Keith Chandler. Until next time, thank you for listening.